you come back in here, I'm gonna hit you with so many rights, you're gonna beg for a left. Welcome to Filmstrip. Featuring Ron. You're beginning to irritate me. And Jay. Oh man, nobody knows how to fight him. He's, he's on the move all the time. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. And this is our review of Avenging Force, starring Michael Dudikoff, Steve James, and James Booth. Directed by Sam Furstenberg, our old friend Sam. Released in 1986 on an unknown, minuscule budget, it grossed $4.6 million at the box office and can best be summed up in terms of reception as this movie has mostly negative reviews. <laughs> so, uh, the sequel to Invasion USA, that is what it's... it's it's pitted as we talked about it at the end of the last movie a little bit matt hunter the character comes back and you told me something i did not know that chuck norris was down for this he was going to do this one and then couldn't because of a scheduling conflict with another canon film he was working on yes uh this was at the they were they were going to make this at the same time they were making uh the delta force with chuck and lee marvin uh as directed by mr um Minahem Golan himself. Wow! And, if you want it, if you want it done wrong, do it yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've seen Delta Force. That's, ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a waste of Martin Balsam. Let's <laughs> not kid ourselves. Well, this is true. This is true. I mean, but, he was much much better used in Mitchell. <laughs> well, like I say, I had no idea this even existed until you told me about it. And then I was like, well, of course, Golan Globus would have a film called Avenging Force. But the fact that it is a or purports to be a sequel to Invasion USA, I'm going to say this now. We've done a lot of series and sequels on, in film strip land here for the four years, five years of this podcast. I've never done two films that are, you know, supposedly tied together that have as little in common as these two do they might as well have just been similar names matt hunter's not that you know uncommon of a name and if he was in the cia maybe it wasn't even his name matt hunter's clearly like a, the, the american james bond and that it's just like a, a pseudonym that different people have adopted over the years but it's funny because this matt hunter isn't in the cia this matt hunter is in the secret service yeah which is a totally different branch like completely different job <laughs> <laughs> than the CIA. They're, they're not intelligence gatherers at all. They investigate like fraud and they protect, you know, dignitaries. Yeah, they're so, like a, they're the the armed unit of the Treasury Department. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. That's not an easy job, okay? No doubt. You know, the federal bank robbery, you know, units are are very impressive, but they're not exactly action heroes. They're like really good accountants that can shoot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, they they are like I've I've known a couple that have done it. That's that's really what they are, <laughs> like military well, people that can investigate fraud. Well, in that sense, Michael Dudikoff is perfect because <laughs> he, he looks like an accountant who can shoot. He, he does indeed. He has that accountant hair, and um, that the man's hair is well displayed on the poster here that I'm looking at, and I think it uh, it it has a good characterization in the film as well. So, um, well, let's not beat around the bush here, uh, Ron. You know, the, tell us what Avenging Force is all about. I dare say most of our audience probably doesn't know this one that well. They may have known Invasion USA, so tell us what goes on in this sequel to that Chuck Norris film. 
I have I have no doubt that no one in our audience knows this movie existed. <laughs> but it's free on YouTube, so yeah, in like you know. two different languages, I might add. Be careful yeah, which one you it's, watch. It's clearly yeah, it's out there for the international audience. All right, um, <laughs> Captain Matt Hunter, Michael the Dude Dudikoff, is an ex Secret Service agent who is among the best of the best. Although he quit the service to take care of his sister Sarah, Allison Garrity, in her only role ever with good reason. <laughs> After the death of their parents, along with Sarah and Grandpa Jimmy, who doesn't merit being named, uh, Matt goes to visit his best friend, Larry Richards, played by the immortal Steve James, who's running for Senate. As it turns out, the right-wing terrorist group known as Pentangle doesn't like Larry, so they decide to burn his house down and murder him and his entire family after Matt stops a previous assassination attempt, apparently during Mardi Gras, with (laughs) with his sister Sarah kidnapped. Matt will stop at nothing to bring down the racist Professor Glastonbury, played by the immortal John P. Ryan, and the rest of his survival of the fittest cronies in a series of one-on-one fights to the death. Michael Dudikoff is a one-man avenging force. (laughs) And it ends with him walking toward the screen to never be seen again. It's like we're setting up the the franchise. (laughs) To never be continued. There you go. Yes. I, um, wow. Um, I... I think you have given this so much more weight than what's actually on the screen Um, (laughs) because what you read was way more interesting than what I watched. But I want to tell you this. It it occurred to me in the second run through of watching this, because I had to watch this film twice just to make sure I got all of it. And it's not because it's like Christopher Nolan dense. It's because I found myself napping (laughs) like inadvertently, like narcoleptically throughout parts of this film. But it's it's dense. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, do you realize that with just certain plot twists, this is a John Grisham story. You'd have to make Matt Hunter a lawyer, of course. Yes, and it would all, but all be in Mississippi. But you can see it though. The old rich white men that don't want the African American to run for Senate, and they try to kill his family and burn down his house, and the young white friend that he has goes after the people. That's a John Grisham story, right? Yeah, you're 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 right. That's very much a John Grisham. I had not considered that. That's pretty awesome. I, I just caught that, again, the first time watching it, going like, this reminds me so much of so many things I've seen. And I'm like, what, what is this all ripping off? And I'm trying to figure it out. And then it occurred to me, again, I was like, this is just John Grisham novels. It's just, you know, with like Chuck Norris action, you know? So I'm, I can only think that Grisham was a fan sometime back in the day, because this is when he wanted to start writing. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, yes. But. Thank you, Golden Globus, for giving us John Grisham. But unlike a lot of the Grisham films um, or stories, the characterizations here are a little different. Now, let's let's talk about Michael Dudikoff as Matt Hunter here, because we talked about Chuck Norris last time, and both of us heaped probably the most effusive amounts of praise that film has ever received in its critical lifetime on the fact that what they realized is that we just don't want Chuck to actually do anything except just be Chuck Norris. <laughs> and so, And it's like that's what they told him, and he was like, Okay. And they just went with it and it worked. Like Dudikoff here is it seems like Furstenberg and him, of course, had this relationship because the American Ninja and all this stuff. And it's like he said, Look, I'll do it if you bring Steve James on and you let Furstenberger direct. And so they're like, Okay, sure. And he gets in there and like he is wanting to explore the other side of this character. He has all these moments where he tries to do this over emoting and this whole bit with the sister and all this stuff. It is, 
dare I say, it it is like it's trying to borrow the best of Commando, Invasion USA, Rambo. This film is chasing a lot of different things. And it, and it catches almost none of them. Let's not kid ourselves. But yeah, you're right. It's definitely like Matt Hunter needs some more tragedy. He needs some kind of backstory. I, I can only assume that this was supposed to have been a sequel, but because they got the eternally 25-year-old Michael Dudikoff, they had to make it a prequel. So this is like what happens to make Matt Hunter into a bearded murderer. <laughs> is, is that Okay, so that's what I was going to ask you, is because it, this film purports itself as a sequel, but there's nothing referenced about anything that happened. And I'm not even talking about what Matt Hunter did last time. I'm talking about what America went through. Like it, as even as quickly as they squashed that, that would have changed the landscape of the country. No doubt that kind of uh, uh, terrorist attack, if you will. And the fact that none of it, none of it is mentioned in this film leads me to believe that you're right, that they decided, you know what, we're just going to kind of, before there even was such a thing, they just did a little soft reboot on it here. That That's the only, expl- I mean, I think we're really overthinking this movie. <laughs> I think they had the script sitting around somewhere in like a drawer. They were like, well, can we fax this to Furstenberg? And they were like, yeah, sure. Uh, he's not doing anything right now. We've, he's he's already done his second unit stuff on Delta Force or whatever he was doing. So <laughs> they just kind of faxed it over. Uh, the, and, right, and, the writer, though, wrote this with the intent of this being a sequel to um, Invasion USA. And let, let's just lay out who this dude is. This is James Booth, okay, who also like worked on the airport 77 script he worked on uh, the jazz singer which is you know a really interesting film if you've never seen it from 1980 with uh, neil diamonds in that one and Lawrence olivier and stuff and he also wrote part of american ninja four so so and he was even in that one so i i just i'm sort of blown away by the fact that um this guy got so much run. Like this is somebody that knows what he's doing and has been around Hollywood was around Hollywood for decades. I mean, this wasn't just, you know, some hack off the street. They they actually had this written by somebody that you would think knew what they were doing. Yeah. I, I can only assume that they took what was presumably a great script and decided to just mangle it. Uh, I, I think the word you're looking for is, well, how much money do we have for that? Well, we got all that going into that Life Force movie and that other Superman movie, so not a whole lot. Okay. Because isn't that really the story of every Golden Globus film? Is that either starts from this period, yeah. Yeah, it all starts and ends with Life Force and and the quest for peace. So What's the best movie we can make for $25? (laughs) Exactly. And and do you know Dudikoff and James will do it for like a cup of coffee? Come on. So... (laughs) They're just glad to be back in America. Well, I will say this, though. This is the American Ninja sequel that we didn't get with Part 3. I I really feel like this could have been a really good Part 3 in the American Ninja saga. And actually, if if you just recut it as part of an American Ninja, it's better than the Part 3. And you could still have Sean Bradley in that one and then do Part 4 because Steve James could die. So as a character too. Well, so. uh, David Bradley, not Sean Bradley. David Bradley. If it was if it was Sean Bradley, it would be the best movie ever. You're right. Wait a minute, Sean. That's his character. That's his name, Sean. I see. I've now I've now just transposed them. So. Mike, yeah, Michael Dudikoff has to protect us. 
seven foot six inch Mormon basketball player Sean Bradley. That would be awesome. That would be almost as awesome as if they got RuPaul to play like you know uh, Leatherface or something. So RuPaul, and, and RuPaul, RuPaul could take over the Steve James role. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you better work that machine gun, bitch. Anyway, so. <laughs> And then he literally kicks someone's face off with like a, a platform shoe. <laughs> that I think we've just improved this film by a factor of ten. Okay, well, what's your popcorn rating? So no, that's not what happens here. So well, okay, let's get into this a little bit then, because there's certainly quite a bit to to dig here. Okay, so if if we're to accept this, and I think I'm going to go with your premise that this is a prequel. All right, he, Matt Hunter's in the Secret Service, not the CIA. Totally different. Thing. we've already established this but whatever he's he's super military james bond guy but he gives it up because his parents die and he's got a younger sister the younger sister sarah yeah we got to talk about sarah this is the only movie she's ever been in yeah and, and that's with good reason uh she she has the absolute worst i i, I can't believe she's not like adr'd how like, do you know she's not? I was going to ask you if she was. She she might very well be. They might have brought June Foray in to do a southern accent for her like they did for uh, the little girl in the Twilight Zone episode where they go to in the pool. Yeah, yeah. It could have been her. I mean, this is her only entry in IMDb. So I know this woman from nothing else except this role. And I'll tell you what I got off of her because I've already said that you know they're borrowing from a lot of things here. Commando with mm. Schwarzenegger and and um, not Allison Hannigan. Where's my brain? Uh, Alyssa Milano. With Schwarzenegger and Alyssa Milano, she looks to be kind of the age that Alyssa Milano was at that time, right? She's supposed to be in that same one because Commando was 85 and it was a massive hit and would come out. So they would have seen that and they're like, well, we got to give him some reason to do this just besides his, you know, black friend getting killed because nobody will believe that. Ha ha ha. And so they, they said, oh, it's got to be his sister gets kidnapped too. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get a cute kid like Alyssa Milano. Well, we can't afford her. Well, get one that kind of looks like her. Because she kind of, like, the way they do her hair and everything, it kind of looks like the Who's the Boss era Alyssa Milano. But, yeah, that's that's a really astute judgment. I never would have captured onto that because I was too busy willing her to die. <laughs> well, it, it's also Alyssa Milano if she did every line reading looked out on, like, Valium. Because that's <laughs> what this girl sounds like. <laughs> I mean, she, it's like... But Matt, you promised you would never leave. It's like she's a stepbird kid or something. Oh, it's yeah. Really, it's like it almost is a George Romero thing in its <laughs> own way. But it's it's bad. I mean, it's bad. I, I, you and I have reviewed some bad films. At this point, we will have reviewed the two worst films of all time. So, well, like, we've, we've done some Tommy Wiseau. We, we did After Last Season. That's bad acting, okay? But that's like amateur. Com- like this woman, girl, was like, Talent search out. And people, if you think Jake Lloyd is a bad actor for Phantom Menace, you just need to watch like five minutes of this girl. All right. I hope she has a great career doing something else because she's bad. She's bad acting. And I'm not even going to blame Sam Furstenberg. I've actually seen him get decent performances out of limited range actors. You know, I don't think there was anything to go with here. And it, it hurts this film, not only because she's so bad, because if somebody's that bad, you can at least have fun making fun of it. She's so bad that I don't care if he saves her or not. <laughs> I really she's, don't. She's so bad, I actively wish that she would die. Like, yeah. I kept waiting. 
because I mean, after you kill, you know, Steve James, who I, I care about and like, yeah, why are you not? Why is she still alive? I yeah. mean, that would that would have given even more pathos to Hunter, right? Like if right. everybody had died, and and really that's what should have happened because I mean, it, it's it's pretty clear that she's you know. Number one, she's not a good actress. Number two, she's uh, not a, not even that good of a fake Alyssa Milano. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, uh, her only real talent is apparently making coffee. <laughs> yeah, because she's really into that coffee. It's got to be a certain way. So <laughs> I mean, she's all about that coffee. If you're gonna cast a cute kid, it needs to be like a super cute kid, like really charming and precocious, and you know, the, your standard boring movie kid, a, a living train wreck. Yeah, I mean, she really is, like, dead-eyed, no emotion. Like, there's no reason for me to care about her. And that's a problem when you put her up against a guy like Dudikoff, whose, you know, emotional range is about two steps above a dime store mannequin. I mean, that's really all he's got. But but he wears that well. I don't mean that as disparagement. I actually think that is his acting secret, is that I am a mannequin that can talk. <laughs> I think that's what he does. And I can go with that on some level. Like, I, re- I really can. But this, um, ah, man, this guy, I I mean, th- these two together, like, no chemistry at all. Like, and I, I mean, they have nothing for each other. I don't get how we're supposed to care about them at all. They They seem like they never met. Yeah, it's like they didn't even know each other. They don't seem like brother and sister. They seem like they don't even seem like acquaintances. It seems like Steve James is like, oh, this is my friend Sarah. She makes coffee. That's what she does. And then he's like, oh, hello. And then through the circumstances of the movie, he ends up having to save her out of well, for no good reason, really. There, there's no, yeah, he doesn't have any. Real, I mean, it's if she weren't his sister, there would be no point at all this and i mean that, that i think that's what we're both saying is that this suffers desperately because we don't buy the connection between the two of them and the that the problem with that is that the chemistry he and steve james already have you know in their limited career together at this point but that they already have established is far more interesting and the fact that he gets off halfway through the movie really disappointed me. I was like, no, I, I mean, I even missed it at one point. I was like, wait a minute, where did, where did Richards go? Where does Steve James go? I was like, oh yeah, he died in the fire. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. I mean, even if it had been, if it, his sister, if Sarah had died and it had been one of uh, Larry Richards kids, there was, there was more of a connection between Hunter and those kids, the little kids. As I said, one of his kids did get killed. I'm like, why, why couldn't we have killed her too? Then they, then they share that together. You know? Right, yeah. That then it makes a little bit more sense. You know, maybe you make it Larry's last kid who gets kidnapped. Yeah, and, and so the, not only do you add a little bit. Uh, n- number one, clearly Michael Dudikoff seems to like that little kid because I mean, he's clearly ad libbing like messing with the kid. Yeah, at, at certain points when they they meet together, and he absolutely doesn't even look like he likes the girl playing his sister. Uh, I think it, and and plus I think it's a little bit extra, you know. This Richard or this uh, Matt Hunter is a nice guy, uh, you know. He's doing this to save his friend's son, you know, his his friend's name, uh, you know. And it's more uh, white guy come to save the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Well, let's talk about the subplot of that, the pentangle. Um, <laughs> what the heck is the pentangle? <laughs> it's uh, it's five dudes who are super into Ronald Reagan. Like like the bad, everything bad about Reaganism, and I, I don't know what what you'd even call these guys. They're this is maybe some of the worst movie villains I've ever seen. And that's saying something considering like we reviewed the Cobra and not Cobra, but the Cobra you know, <laughs> before and um, whatever the serial killer in after last season was. And you know, all that other stuff. Like I've seen bad movie villain plots. Uh, hey, I, I did reviewed a whole season of the initiative for Buffy, the vampire slayer. That's one of the worst military <laughs> plots of all time. Joss Whedon. Nice. So yeah, it's, it's bad, but they, they're, needed to be a a hidden pentangle henchman and it needed to be rostov i think is what i'm saying oh yeah <laughs> that yes. would have tied all of this together because then it could have been matt hunter walks off into the distance to go after rostov and then now the circle is complete you know now we would have it yeah that would have clearly been a better much better movie we, we've already written the superior version of avenging force it really Just- we need to fix that. Call call the remaining living members of canon up. Tell them we've got it. So we've, we've got it down. So you need to let us come fix your film. Globus, we've got it. Yes. We've got your next end. Yes, it's happening. So, but And I bet Dudikoff would go for it. I'm just saying. So I don't think he'd have a problem. So we Well, I mean, it. it's not like he's doing all that much these days. I to say. But here's, but here's the funny thing. He plays a Secret Service agent here. And he was also an uncredited Secret Service agent in Olympus Has Fallen. Yes, that is amazing. So, yes. Yeah, Which, clearly. by the way, is the superior of the two Let's Attack the White House movies from a oh, couple for, summers ago. Oh, for clearly. clearly. Yes. Because that film, much like Invasion USA, knew what it was and just went with it. Unlike its counterpart, where it tried to have this overly complicated you know, personal story, White House Down, Avenging Force, and it completely falls apart because of that. I, I see the connections. We have just connected two 80s films to two 2013 films. Our work here is done. So, so I don't think we can get more more in-depth than that. So, but really, I mean, that the, the problems that I have with White House Down, not to review that right here, are the same ones that I have with here. It's an overly complicated personal tie-in story that doesn't need to be it was enough that a group of you know fascist white men wanted to kill the African American politician would be politician, and that it turns out he was an American hero, had a friend that was also you know the greatest American hero of all time, and this is what happens when you screw with those people. I I was fine with that. This whole bit with the sister and that the the friend gets killed, like that's the thing. The pentangle is actually successful. I said last time that Invasion USA was odd for its uh, you know bad guys actually having so much success. Hey, pretty much everything the Pentangle wants happens. Yeah, they definitely accomplished their mission of keeping uh, Richards out of the Senate race, that's for sure. Yeah, they kill him. And and his whole family pretty much. Him, I mean, uh, no, not pretty much. They kill them all. Yeah, they're they're they gone. Kill, yeah, they killed the one son at Mardi Gras and then they kind of gun down the wife and the little one. Yeah, oh, that which is I mean again, th- I'll give these films credit for this, for going for it. The problem was in the opening of Invasion USA last time, that jumped and got our attention because it was so jarring and strange to see terrorists dressed as the U.S. Coast Guard gunning down a group of Cuban refugees who were actually drug mules, you know, unknowingly or not. This film, it seems to have been done just to shock us. And it's kind of the difference between a movie like Jaws, where Steven Spielberg kills a kid. 
you know, in the first act. And it's this violent death. And a film like Alien vs. Predator Requiem that also kills a kid in the first act, <laughs> but for but just for the reason to just shock you. I mean, that's kind of how Avenging Force goes. Not to compare Invasion USA with Jaws, but uh, Avenging Force and AVP Requiem, very close. <laughs> that's that's more than fair. <laughs> Com- compared to uh, Avenging Force, Invasion USA does look like Jaws. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a monosyllabic, unstoppable killing machine slowly picking its way through. Um, uh, a host of terrorists. Wow, now that is amazing. I had never thought of it like that, but you're right. Chuck Norris is the original. He could, Chuck could be Jaws. So. Chuck, Bruce the Shark, you know. And if and if, and if if they'd done this sequel with Bruce the Shark, it would have been much better. Well, if they had just hired Chuck, the shark would have worked more. We all know that. But <laughs> but back to Avenging Force. So, they, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that their attack on the Richards family, first off, like, I mean, that attack in the in the parade, I think it's Mardi Gras. Is that what that's supposed to be? That's what I kind of remember that I, is. Yeah, I think that's supposed to be Mardi Gras because we've moved from um, Louisiana. We've moved from um, well, Fall. we've moved from the Everglades to Louisiana because, you know, one swamp is as good as another. Or, or, or one tax break is as easy to get as another from, you know, film a, a state that will let you film it. So, I mean, that. That's not an unknown thing. So, but I I will say this that w- I did not see that coming. The attack that happened, and it's kind of a I don't know. It's it, it's a real shocking moment when the kid gets killed, and they're all at the hospital together there at the end. You know, you expect though he got shot like eighteen times, but he's going to be okay, right? Because you know the bullets miraculously missed every vital organ. But no, he dies, and they just gun him down in the street, and you know they succeed and and run away basically. Yeah. Now look, like in even in the 1980s, okay, if if that had happened, like the the world and our news cycle, even as limited as it was then, would have stopped on a dime. If an African American would be politician's son was murdered at Mardi Gras as part of a hit that was meant to kill him, that would have been news even in 1986. And, and today, of course, it would be news. And not just because of the race issues, but I mean, if that, if that happened, you know, then that would have been a huge thing. And that's what gets me is that, unlike Invasion USA, there's like zero news coverage of any of this. They must have wasted all their fake news uh, footage budget. I mean, really, how hard is that to produce? It's not. News newscasts are notoriously produced on the cheap. You know, I mean, that couldn't have been go to the local community college that's teaching the meteorology class, you know, or something. You, you, you probably could have just gotten the local news anchors to do it for free just to have something just to have like a demo reel. Exactly. Most of them will do that. So, yeah, you could. Um, that's what I'm wondering. Like we needed something. That's what gets me is that there seems to be no consequence to anything that's happening. You know, and they want to have this big elaborate conspiracy theory, but they don't do a good job of explaining it. Like, I don't, other than just being a big white racist, what is Professor Glastonbury's deal? Um, they're preparing for, um, I, I think it's some sort of like communist invasion. I think it's like, it's a combination of like doomsday preppers and like Ayn Rand. <laughs> well, so they're getting ready for what is coming in Invasion USA. That's that that was my assumption. See, and wouldn't that be so much better if they had been in league with Rostov and that's why they were preparing for that for him to come in and take over that they were going to be like his, you know, his side your puppet government businessman henchmen or something like that. They were the bankroll behind all of that crap. 
Yeah, that would have that would have made a lot more sense. That that would have been way overthinking this movie. <laughs> Again, yeah, I, I, I realize I'm overthinking it like grossly. That's because the movie is 104 minutes long, and it gives me about six seconds worth of plot. So I'm trying to build anything we can out of it here, and that, and the only way I know how to do that is to fix it. <laughs> and so, but what gets me is that the the Glastonbury guy. I don't know. He, I, I kind of felt like he was kind of a, a cousin to the Cobra in some way. He seemed to have a little Marjo Gointner going for him. Oh, yes. He's G.I. Marjo, for sure. <laughs> he does have a little bit of Marjo Gointner in him, that's for sure. He does. He, he even kind of plays it like that, you know? So, um, I don't know. It, it, that's the thing, though, is that the rest of the family gets gunned down when they go to stay with Matt Hunter and Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Jimmy, rather. I'm Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Jimmy and... The and Sarah, the dog, the kid sister, right? Like no one is safe, apparently. And that's what gets me is that Hunter knows that the way that people found him where the uh, I love the the bumbling secret service agents that are walking around the Richards house after it's burned down and they're like oh man it's like they know everything we're gonna do like they're the most they're the worst keystone cops <laughs> ever government officials don't react like that that's the reason they get to be in positions like that is they come in and they assess situations very impersonally they don't walk around like two detectives that just miss the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop 4 <laughs> you know right so, and and it, and it also foreshadows the movie's one twist, yeah, uh, a little too hard, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was at the point when I knew I was like, well, obviously this is an inside job. We all know that now. So how how deep and how connected is it? But again, they don't go with that enough. They don't they don't sell that enough to me. So I don't I don't get invested in it like I did last time. I knew I knew enough to know that Invasion USA. That this was a nationwide attack, but that Rostov and Nico were really the heads of it, and they were down in Miami. For whatever reason, that's just where they were, and they were working the southeast angle. And in this, like, the Pentangle aren't – it's all their henchmen are the ones going out and doing the work. They're just kind of sitting around in the building somewhere. No, the the one of the Pentangle does go out and do some killing. The, well, yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the Weasley-looking guy with the mustache. Yeah, that one dude. Yeah, that one dude does go out, and then the guy at the end that that uh, um, Hunter gets into the. We're gonna get to that fight in a minute. So <laughs> with the, the whole throwdown that that is. But yeah, but most of the time though, they're just sitting back. They're kind of like Hail Hydra, you know, over <laughs> there or something. And I, I can I can only assume that they they took this movie in that direction um, because. I have no doubt that Cannon got a lot of Cannon, surely Cannon got a lot of flack for how right wing uh, anti communist um, invasion USA was, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we'll see. We'll make the Republicans the bad guys this time. And the evil capitalist businessmen are going to be, you know, we have to make them racist so they'll be extra repugnant. Of course, and, you know, we have to have them innocent, murder some innocent kids. We have to have them dressed like bondage GI Joes. Not not just innocent kids, innocent minority children." So, right, we have to make uh, we have to make John P. Bryan say the say the N word at least one time. Exactly. Oh yes. Even, oh, even wow. though he even though he clearly looks appalled at having to deliver that line. I mean, he's got to be sitting there like, "Am I really? Is anyone going to see this? No one's going to see this. It's going to be okay." He's probably talking to his wife. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's a member of the actor studio here. <laughs> that that yeah, yeah, we're talking about a real legitimate actor. Yeah, like a, and he was like, "You want me to say what?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> he calls his agent. Did the check clear? The check clear. Okay, I'll say the end. 
So and it's and it's pretty clear that that's the the one time they were able to talk him into saying it because he doesn't really they they use like you know negro or colored or whatever, but they don't go to the n word. I don't think they go to it more than that one time. I don't remember it just the more than that one time, and it 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 remains in its effectiveness that way, too. But it was clear that they were not comfortable doing that, and for good reason. I mean, there's a reason you don't want to do that, even in your. You can only pull that off if it's part of the dramatic element. I mentioned John Grisham earlier. You watch a Time to Kill or things like that, like that's part of the story. And so, mm-hmm. Here, they haven't really sold us on what the problem is, other than it's just rich, white, business fascists, you know, don't want this guy in the office. And and that's the thing, is like Larry Richards, he's not exactly, you know, a the a liberal Democrat. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't yeah, he doesn't strike me as being, you know He's he's more like along he's like a lighter Ben Carson almost to put it in uh, modern terms. I mean he's really not that I mean I'm like this dude this like I don't even know that he could get elected on the Democratic ticket. I don't think he really fits their ideals. And you know, this, this is not this guy. He's a little Yeah, I mean he's he's clearly got some sort of military background. Right. He he's got a super nice house, so clearly he he's in some sort of business that makes money. He's wealthy. He's got, uh, you know, he's got a family. He's very, and his family is incredibly like um, suburbanized. <laughs> These are not, you know, youth kids. These are not kids that grew up in the hard, you know, back streets. This is definitely like the Sesame Street. You know, yeah, this is definitely the uh, Cosby family. Yes, dynamic. That, that is exactly right. That that is exact. It's like if the Cosby's got attacked by terrorists. Maybe that was part of the production meeting with the writers. Look, we really like your script, but we want you to change it and put Michael Dudikoff in it. And the senator has to be like the Cosby's getting attacked. And I'm sure he was like, "What?" <laughs> so, or maybe it was a bet. Like we bet you can't do that. We bet you can't ruin your own movie. <laughs> so, well, but instead of uh, wearing the Cosby sweater, he wears a, a sleeveless black t-shirt uh, well that's steve james he's got look welcome to the gun show <laughs> I mean, clearly yeah yes. he's these are the biggest arms of any like senate candidate ever okay. like until like jesse ventura runs for senate it, <laughs> yes exactly and i mean his wife's daisy for goodness sakes so that's, <laughs> i mean that's that should tell you a lot right there so but it, anyway they, they they hit them all everybody's dead at this point and sarah gets kidnapped and now Matt has got to go at is going to go after her, and he really does become a one man army against the, like the he storms the compound is basically what I call this part of the film is the the storming of the compound. It's like the evil can't just get together on a long distance phone call, not even in the eighties. No, they all got to get in the same place together, <laughs> so to have all their henchmen to be taken out at one time. And it's on this this plantation in what apparently looks to be a, a swamp. Yeah, it's like on the other side of where Chevy Chase Fletch inherited his, you know, Belle Isle or whatever, and, and Fletch lives. I mean, it, it really looks like the same, you know, you got Bible Land over here, and then, you know, there's these the Pentangle right over here. So, and down the street is John Grisham's law office. So, I, I was thinking more along the lines of it's, uh, you know, it's it's like a, across the, uh, the street from, um, oh, what's that movie? Uh What's the movie where Powers Booth and them go into the swamp and get killed by Cajuns? Oh, uh, not uh, not the mean season, but um, ah, oh, hold on a minute. Uh, Southern Comfort. There we go. There we go. Yeah, Southern Comfort. Set that up again. Do that again. All right. It to me, it seems like it's the uh, 
like the lot across the street from the place where uh, Powers Booth gets killed, or Powers Booth and the the National Guards get attacked by the rednecks in Southern Comfort. Yes, a great Fred Ward film, by the way. How he hasn't made it into this Golden Globus retrospective yet? I'm I'm amazed. We're going to get to some Fred Ward. So I, I'm I'm really surprised Walter Hill hasn't been involved in it yet <laughs> either. I mean, well, I know he's pretty high class, but I think at this point he would probably. Like if they wanted him in a movie now, he, or if they wanted him to do a movie now, he'd show up, no problem. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, in fact, he would have done – well, I, there's a lot of good Walter Hill stories running around. Nick and I talked a lot about him in the Alien retrospective. So if we ever get around if, – if Eddie Murphy will ever get around to the next Beverly Hills Cop, we'll do those. But um, anyway, back to the, the storming on the plantation. Wait, shouldn't it be another – Another 48 hours. Another 48 Beverly Hills hours cop Nick Nolte. I think Nick Nolte's voice is so gravelly now there's no way to actually record it So without being in a sound booth. <laughs> just just, just have uh, the girl who did the ADR for Sister Sarah and this do the ADR for Nick Nolte. It would be pretty close. Maybe she'd get Melissa McCarthy. So she seems to be just <laughs> dropped into everything these days for no apparent reason. So, hey, Reggie, you want a cup of coffee? <laughs> there, there we go. We've got to talk about two of the, the, I guess, the fights to the death that Michael Dudikoff gets here with some of our characters. The first one's the guy in the swamp. Yeah, the, um, the Bushido swordsman guy, I think who's dressed like uh, an American ninja, but with the um, anonymous mask on. <laughs> exactly. No, no, not the anonymous mask. It's the, uh, like the mask from, uh, oh, the strangers. The, yes. The strangers, the strangers. That's, I, I knew what you meant. Good. Uh, yeah. The strangers. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it looked like. I was actually, if you've ever seen your next, I just, uh, I love your next. I yeah. love that too, but we'll talk about that in a second. I, I was waiting for somebody with the lamb mask to pop out from the side. So I, re- I really wanted it. I mean, this is, I- I've seen a lot of kills in swamps because I've watched a lot of Friday the 13th movies. And so I've seen them done well. And then I've seen them done like this. And this, I mean, I've even seen fights to the death with Michael Dudikoff. And I thought that last one in American Ninja four was pretty lame. Like we both thought that was good. Yeah, didn't really take much to take that dude down. The the first two were much more involved. This, this one doesn't really do much for me. Like I just like, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's poorly lit and I, that's probably a good thing. Cause it probably saved the, the production from how bad it really looked. It's I, I, I don't think they could actually light it. I think they were actually crawling around in a swamp and they were like, well, we can't set the lights up here. Are you crazy? We'd run extension cords and we'd all be dead. They're like, oh, let's just use some mirrors and try to redirect some light onto the scene. And it's like, no, it's just going to be dingy. I mean, it's a dingy swamp. It's going to look like. I thought you know, they were just cut. holding some flashlights. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Well, you've got the guys with the big, the big white panels that read the light, redirect the light, and you've yeah. got dudes with flashlights aimed at those to kind of spotlight our two blurry combatants as they as they kill each other in poorly edited, uh, dingy swamp. Like a like a cutscene from Fallout Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very bad. So not not well done. But the one I do love is the showdown with the professor. In uh, oh, yeah. I mean, dude, it's like they throw each other on tables. They're picking. Up, it's like a good backstage brawl with mankind back in the Attitude Era of the WWE. Oh. They're picking up everything to go at each other. Any, anything that's not nailed down becomes a weapon, like the <laughs> yeah. shield. The swords, the table, they throw them through that glass display case. What's even better is the professor like yanks out a garrote wire that he's got. He's like got piano wire in his you know pocket. 
that he's going around and he gets Dudikoff in it. And I'm like, he's going to tear his head off. Literally. Like I, I really thought, Oh wow. Are they really going to kill him? Like I, I knew in the back of my mind, I knew they wouldn't, but for a minute I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, dramatically intrigued by this. This, this is clearly the, the, the fight, the one fight that they spent all their time on preparing. Yes. Uh, probably because, uh, John Ryan was already in his fifties and could only shoot it once. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's most definitely a stunt double with a terrible curly gray haired wig that's being thrown around by Michael Dudikoff. And I do think it's Dudikoff. It, it, he does. They don't look like they cut away from him at all. Yeah. But, he, he looks like he's the one doing his stunts for sure. Yeah. But it is a good there's, fight. There's a clear shot where like, I think the professor throws him down the stairs or kicks him down the stairs or something. Yeah. And, and it's clearly Michael Dudikoff just rolling down the stairs. Yes. I mean, he, he takes one for the team, but I love how he takes out the professor as he sees a statue with a big, you know, like Cupid arrow or something on it. And he's basically, as he's, you know, being choked to death, spins him around into it and he, you know, impales him uh, a la Psycho 3 style. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they do a good job of um, not telegraphing it either because it, it clearly the only thing Michael Dudikoff could do at this point is ram this guy in the walls. So he does that several times before he even notices the pointy thing. And then it's like, you know, cl- clearly, I don't think I, I, it made sense because I don't think he was expecting like uh, the professor was expecting to be rammed into his own weird African spear statue, which is ironic in all sorts of ways. Yeah, because <laughs> if, if he's that super racist, why would he have African artwork in his house? And maybe that's the subtext of the film. Maybe James Booth snuck that in. I don't know. Maybe the production designer was like, I'm going to give this film one piece of dignity. So, and, and, this, and that was it. I don't know. And it clearly wasn't the, uh, the hair piece. <laughs> yes, it was not. But I love his death scene, too, because he, you know, he has to let go. He's still trying to choke him to death, and he can't. he has to let go and he pulls himself off of the thing and he gets like a whole drop to the knees, stare at him and then die. He doesn't just slump over. And I was like, I forgot how people died in eighties movies. You know? Right. Yeah. It's not death. Isn't immediate in the death. Wasn't immediate in the eighties. Apparently it took a while. Even after you've had a statue <laughs> rammed through your chest. Heart. Yeah, exactly. You're no longer pumping vital organs, but. Whatever. I don't know. I, I liked it, though. Again, I thought that was a good fight. for. And what's even more amazing is how he walks out of the place. You know, everything is on fire behind him and he's walking off into the you know great unknown. Like, I'm, uh, you know, I'm coming to get you, <laughs> you know, Murdoch. I'm coming to get you because that's pretty much the conversation he has with the uh, the Secret Service government guy at the end. It's like, whatever happened to the Pentangle? Well, I know they're still out there. You know, and he promises Sarah, I'll never leave you again, except this time now where I'm going to leave you and go kill everybody. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that's exactly what he does. <laughs> to be fair, if you leave Sarah alone with a Mr. Coffee, she'll, she'll be distracted for a good three or four weeks. This is true, especially <laughs> if it's the automatic drip style. So, <laughs> well, I think we've wrung all we can get out of this one. So, Ron, what is your popcorn rating and final thoughts and recommendations for a binging force? I like the idea that it's the it, it takes the exact opposite political tone of Invasion USA, um, but aside from being the uh, the anti Reagan response to the very pro Reagan Invasion USA, it, it 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 really does fall flat. I mean, like you, I fell asleep watching it. Uh, I've I had to go through it a couple of times to even put together my meager plot summary, and I, I probably added too much. <laughs> excitement to the plot summary just in the name of comedy 
But yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go with the small popcorn. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is the smallest of popcorns, and I, just a, I'm a fan of like trash cinema, you know, and things that fail spectacularly as long as they're a good time when they do it. But this one's not any fun. Like there's there's maybe five or ten minutes of good fun in this, and beyond that, it's just a. I hate to say it, it's an action movie that's a complete bore. Like, I don't care at all about the conspiracy or the plot or any of it. It's just a... They they make the mistake of getting rid of the characters we like too soon. Yes, yes, exactly. I I would have been fine had we basically just had an American Ninja, you know, sequel without the American Ninja characters. But if these two guys had just gone on the the offensive together, I would have been cool with that. Steve James gets exited from this movie way too fast. And I think Dudikoff needs that. He needs someone else to play off of. And Steve James was just the greatest compliment to him and what he could do. Norris can stand on his own. Chuck is Chuck Norris, but Dudikoff's a guy that needs a buddy with him. And, and he works good when he's got it. And I don't blame him. That's the thing. I don't blame him or anybody else in this movie. I blame solely the, the writing, the production, and I'm going to blame Sam Furstenberg, who I think can direct this kind of stuff, but I don't know if he was just under the gun or, or too much you know, going on at the same time or what. But I, I just, just think it was – because it was originally written for Chuck Norris, they didn't have time to rewrite it. They, they couldn't get Chuck off of Delta Force. Uh, you know, <clears throat> and I believe – I could just be mistaken on this. I believe Sam Furstenberg was supposed to have done Delta Force. But uh, Chuck didn't want to work with him. Ah, that makes a lot of so sense. So they kind of put him on this movie, and uh, Menahem Golan took over uh, Delta Force. I I could see that in working out that way. That make, actually makes a lot more sense. But, boy, I'll tell you, th- this film suffers for it. So small popcorn, and I, I'm just here to tell you, like, you and I have come up with at least three different ways they could have done a, a either a prequel or a sequel to Invasion USA that would have worked a whole lot better than, than this. So this is free and on YouTube, so if you just want to burn an hour and 44 minutes of your day, uh, don't. Go outside and run. Plant a tree. <laughs> donate to ALS. Do something else with your life. But this is, this is not even so bad it's good to see, folks. Like, I would I would not wish this upon any of you. I'd no, stay away from this. This is worse than any of the American Ninja sequels. This is way worse than the third one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for I'm, sure. Yeah, I was. This is below even that standard. And I, so, I even I managed to give the third one a medium popcorn. So clearly, yeah. you know, this one is any good. Yeah, this if, is. Yeah, I mean, this can't even measure up to that. So, uh, you know, we know what we're dealing with here. It's just not not a good good run. But that's okay because, uh, you know, you, you hit and miss sometimes with these Golden Globus films. But in our continuing retrospective on, on their series, we'll, we'll pick up some other ones here and there. But we're going to do something really interesting. We're going to go from the early 70s through basically the early 90s with our next big series. You and I are going to review the Dirty Harry films together. Speaking of right-wing gun nuttery, <laughs> Dirty Harry. Exactly. The, the, the fifth member of Pentangle. <laughs> exactly. 
like, or the sixth, maybe, because yeah. Rostov was the fifth. But no, I mean, think about it. We get something from the early 70s, the mid 70s, the late 70s, and then, you know, the early 80s and mid to late 80s. We get Liam Neeson and Sandra Locke and Hal Holbrook and Tim Matheson. I mean, there's lots of, I mean, lots of people pop up in these Dirty Harry films. I'm actually curious to do this retrospective because I've had this discussion with some of my movie friends in the past about there are some films that will, you know, you couldn't remake, but it'd be cool if they tried. And Dirty Harry is one I always throw on the fire in that discussion. I'm like, you, you, you could, it, it would be really hard to do, but if you got the right actor to do it, like Timothy Oliphant, which is almost too on the nose because he pretty much looks like Clint. Yeah, but, that's, a, that's a little close. Yeah, but I mean, if you got the right thing, I could see it working on a, like an FX show or something like that. But, you know? that that's that's kind of like if you redid uh, Death Wish with... Uh... Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah. No, well, didn't they? Arthur's called Taken. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I like the Taken movies, but <laughs> but it, but his his uh, particular set of skills isn't his skill in architecture. This is true. So <laughs> this is true. But no, we're gonna do Dirty Harry, and then our big summer series. We'll go ahead and announce now. This is the the you know, we always try to pick at least one movie that's coming out in the summer that we want to try to tie around. And since Star Wars isn't until next December, we said, well, what are we gonna do? And you brought this one the table and I thought what a fabulous idea we're going to do the three Mad Max films leading up to Mad Max Fury Road the I guess new franchise launch uh, but by George Miller right like it's the same production team involved that's been involved with all of these yep George Miller's back and they built a bunch of uh, customized cars for it they're going to do it practically as much as they can which is super exciting to me, and I think it's. I, I'm already looking. I'm already really looking forward to it because it just having watched the trailers makes it feel like a legitimate Mad Max movie. I, I agree, and the fact I'll tell you what's got me on board for it is Tom Hardy is taking. Oh, yeah. a- role and i just every time i see this guy do anything not just his action fair stuff but i mean you see a film like lock or something like that this this guy is on the verge of being that next major actor that's going to get to do a lot of stuff if he can keep up the momentum i'm really interested in watching him with this and i'll tell you i've seen the other thing growing up and I'm really interested to get back into those two because the long history with those itself. So I'm I'm curious to do those as well. Lots of more fun stuff coming down the pipeline here, folks. At films, you can keep up with all of our happenings at our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click any of the podcast links you see there for the particular podcast adventure you want to go down. Whether it's word circle flashbacks and uh, reviewing the wrestling pay per views of yesteryear with Brian and his gang. Or the Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, The Art of Slaying, or Kurt Fabish and The Fabish Factor, where they review top 10 or top 15 films of a certain year, or talk about shows like Game of Thrones and The Wire and stuff like that. Or Filmstrip here, where we review everything from Avenging Force to, you know, The Room to Ghostbusters 2. So, uh, and we've actually done good films too. I guess I should mention some of those. So, you know, we've, done, we've done the Star Wars films. We've done, uh, you know, all the Harry Potter films. We've done Twilight. Well, I don't know if I put that in the same league, but you get my point, folks. Lots of series, Alien, all that kind of stuff there. Got lots of stuff for you to do. Batman, all that, all that there at continuouslypodcast.com. And you can keep up with Ron's writing over at popfi.com, P O P F I, and at Den of Geek. Yeah, he writes for the US side. And what all do you review over at Den of Geek, Ron? Uh, I do a lot of television. I do some first-run movies. Uh, I actually did two of the Twilight films. The first two Twilight films are, are two of my favorite reviews I've ever written because I say some really terrible things about uh, everyone involved. 
uh, uh, they're and they're for very much adult language because I was very infuriated by the movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yes, I do a lot of TV coverage. Uh, the Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Falling Skies, Teen Wolf, one of my personal favorite shows. Somehow that ended up being a good show. I don't know uh, <laughs> how that works. Uh, the Following, which you know, oh, that's an amazing show. Oh. Which Jay and I will can we'll start our following podcast later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that may have to happen actually because that show is absolutely insane. Uh, you know, just uh, all kinds of good, terrible television stuff. <laughs> Some good, some terrible, but all there again for you folks to enjoy. So thanks again for all your support, folks. Of course, you can hook up with us on Twitter and Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show and drop us ideas, too. Throw one out there. You never know what we might pick up. We don't do requests so much, but we do take a look at what people say. Hey, you know, we might want to do this, do that. And, uh, you know, if you've got a good idea and we get get on board with it, we'll take a look at it somewhere down the line. So until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip.